0: Hi friend, it's 2020. If you're anything like me, this year has been hard. Have you had days that feel confusing, disappointing, or just totally overwhelming? Especially in times like these, and really no matter what life stage you're currently in, do you find yourself looking for something real? Do you ever stay up late at night wondering if there's more to this world than the chaos in your social media feed? Maybe, like me, you wonder about things like restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. And truth, I am on an imperfect journey of pursuing Jesus Christ and what it looks like to find those things in a relationship with Him. It's a journey I committed two years ago when I dedicated my life to following Christ, and it's a journey I invite friends to explore with me, even if, and honestly, especially if you're just not so sure about Jesus. So for those who are wandering, wondering, skeptical, or just need some encouragement, we all need encouragement these days, don't we? This podcast is for you. Please come along with me as we journey together towards finding something real. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, I am so thankful that you're here today, that you're back. Um, we have been talking on Season 3 of this podcast um, with guests who are sharing their stories and also here to answer what I think are some tough questions about the Christian faith. And before I welcome back today's guest, I wanted to make sure you know about the Seven Deep Questions resource. Um, I've mentioned it a couple times here on the podcast, and if you're on my email list, you already have a copy of it. But if not, um, you can find it by checking out JanelleWood.com or finding somethingreal.com. And what this is, friend, it's a practical resource for you designed to spark conversations with your friends about faith. Um, Now, whether you're talking with friends or loved ones, I can almost guarantee you that during this time, and by this time, I mean, as we near the end of 2020, you may be having some deeper conversations with people, people you care about, and maybe you disagree on different topics, including faith. And this is designed as a loving tool for you to have those conversations in a way that equips you. And let's just say, if you are questioning faith, uh, this tool is also hopefully going to shed some light on some issues you might be struggling with. So I encourage you to check that out if you haven't done so already. Just look for seven deep questions at the top of the web page. And when you sign up to receive that, you'll also be signed up for my email list. I'd love to send you some occasional emails um, meant to encourage and motivate you, so please check that out. Today's returning guest is actually one of the sources mentioned in that questions resource. He was on the Finding Something Real podcast back in April during Season 2, Episode 17. You can check that out. Uh, there'll be links in the notes. He was talking about clarity and the gospel, and um, I was really blessed to have that conversation with uh, Lucrezia from Italy, uh, my Italian exchange daughter. Um, It was a great conversation. He has a real passion for sharing and defending the Christian faith, and he's back here to answer what I think is a very tough and much-asked question about the Christian faith. He's very brave. I'm excited to welcome Chan Arnett back to the Finding Something Real podcast. Welcome back, Chan.
1: Thanks. Happy to be back. (laughs) You're in your car. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, my wife actually works in the VA uh, local hospital and she does patient registration, but she works from home now. So everywhere I set up to record, I could still hear those personal conversations. So I had to set up shop outside in my old car. If you've ever seen the Dukes of Hazzard TV show, I've got a 69 Dodge Charger all done up like the General <laughs> Lee. So I want to, my goal is eventually get it totally restored and looking like on the shows. on the show, they never had black interior like I've got. It had a roll cage. So I got the interior brown, all kinds of stuff. But uh, it does look like it outside, but on the inside, it don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so how have the last six months been treating you?
1: I've been good. Just busy, worn out. Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) I think 2020 has been doing that to a lot of people. It's doing it to everybody.
1: Yeah, I think it's got everybody in a chokehold. Yeah,
0: Yeah, (laughs) for (laughs) sure. Well, I'm so thankful that you're back on here. Um, Last time you were here, we talked a little bit about your faith journey and we talked about the gospel. But this time I thought maybe we could chat about a question that I think... I think it makes a lot of people squirm, and not just Christians or non-Christians, but both, to be honest. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I re-listened to our most of our conversation from April, and you pointed out during our discussion that God is love. And I guess I wanted to couch this discussion first in that, um, because I know Scripture talks about that, and I've had several conversations conversations with folks on this podcast recently relating to the character of God. Um, and I'll link some of those discussions in the podcast notes, because I I believe uh, today's question is really impossible, um, because if you don't start with the premise that God is trustworthy and loving, it doesn't make any sense. Would you agree with that? I, I just wanted to make sure that we we both agree that God is loving.
1: <laughs> of course, yeah. That's, in fact, He's necessarily loving. It's part of His nature. So Yeah you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of attributes he has, and we've got to, and what we'll get into eventually is some people, some of the errors some of us make in trying to answer these questions is we ignore one attribute and elevate another one, if that makes sense. And we'll, we'll yeah. get into that as we go on, but yeah, you're right. I mean, love is the foundation to, to the entire thing, because that's his name. He's by, by, by his very nature, he's love. Right.
0: Yeah. And if but if we don't believe that he's loving then this conversation that we're about to have I'm I'm obviously building up to it. Um it doesn't uh, it wouldn't make any sense, right? So if you're listening Correct. to this right now and you don't believe that God is loving, this would be a pretty tough conversation to listen to. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of different topics you could say that if God wasn't loving, how are we to understand X? And not just this one, but I mean, this is a big one, (laughs) but I mean, but there's a lot of things you can say that about, you know, um, if you leave love out as the foundation, because, you know, that's the ultimate ethic, right? So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited that you want to talk about the attributes of um, the attributes, not uh Elevating one above the other, because that actually has been a reoccurring theme on this podcast the last couple of months, too, as I've (laughs) talked with people with different opinions on that, or maybe not different opinions, but different ways to share the same thing. I don't know. Um, So my deep faith question, the hard one, um, (laughs) is how can a good God send people to hell?
1: Uh, excellent question. Now, like I say, Christians even struggle with this. You'd think it's mostly non Christians who are like, you know, that gives them a reason, a good reason. I mean, it would seem to not trust in Christ. I mean, it's like, well, he says he's all loving, but yet, you know, he sends people to an eternity of however you understand the nature of hell. Now, that would be a conversation for another day as well. The nature of We hell. might what touch is. on that. <laughs> yeah, we can touch on it, but it, it's a whole topic unto itself, the nature of hell. But, uh, but, um, but i think the 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 important thing to realize like you said is that it's really a question of how can god's love be compatible with his justice mm. that's the real question because remember hell is part of god's justice which is actually an extension of his goodness
0: mm.
1: it's kind of like um we always use hitler as the example of the worst person ever right but, like, could a loving God, a good God, let Hitler just get away with what he got away with and not punish him? Isn't there a penalty due for wrongdoing? And that's why we've got to say how can God's love be reconciled with God's justice? So, that's what the question's really about to me. Mm-hmm. And I think actually only Christianity, we could go a million different directions with this conversation. We can get into Christian exclusivity. Jesus is the only way you can get into uh, discussions of human freedom and divine foreknowledge. We can go a million different directions, but but that to me is the heart of the question. How is God's love and his justice reconciled? And to me, the answer to that's the atonement.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: the cross. The cross is where, as William Lynn Craig always says, it's, the, it's where the love of God and the justice of God meet.
0: Wow. A few weeks ago, I had Casey Leander on here from RZIM. And um, it was a a very interesting conversation because we were talking about God's character as displayed in the Old Testament and uh, whether he was really loving. And his whole premise was, I mean, we talked about justice. And um, it was really interesting, especially given the world we live in right now, Um, with racial injustice and this rise of, you know, political injustice and all these things that are happening. I think people can almost understand what justice is more than they can understand what love is in a lot of ways. Um, And so one of the things that Casey said is the thing about love is, this is a quote, it's not neutral towards harm being done to the beloved. Love necessitates anger at injustice.
1: Yeah, just it does. I thought that
0: was so good.
1: <laughs> well, even in, a lot of people forget this when they talk about love, especially in our culture. Now, I would say that people practice this almost automatically, but in theory, they'll deny it and be inconsistent on this definition of love, even though it's a biblical one. Even non-Christians practice this definition of love. It's from Corinthians where it says, love is patient, love is kind. Well, if you keep reading down, it says, love takes no pleasure in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. So mm-hmm. that's inherent in love too. the right thing. Righteousness. So the Bible talks about righteousness. Righteousness needs to be done in practice. Cause remember the standard we're judged by isn't a cultural one where the culture may slide on things like premarital sex, not being a big deal now, whereas in the fifties it was huge or something like that. You know, God's standard never changes. He has a perfect holy nature and he holds us to that standard. Now, we can never possibly meet it, hence the atonement. That's why we say love and justice meet at the cross.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to keep um, the conversation kind of uh, not necessarily surface level, but for somebody who maybe doesn't um, have a lot of familiar familiarity. How do I say this word? Familiarity? Famili- yeah, familiarity. How do I put all those <laughs> <laughs> sounds together? Uh, isn't quite as familiar uh, <laughs> with, with the Bible and all the intricacies. Um, We can talk about the atonement in a second. But first of all, clearly scripture talks about hell. What is hell and who's going there?
1: Well, from my understanding, there's different views on hell that a Christian can take. Um, I've not actually decided on one. It's a topic I still need to dive into. I have friends who are just uber geniuses who are smarter than I'll ever be, who are on all sides of the aisle. So that tells me I need to be very careful when I study it and say what's the most coherent. But we do know at minimum um, it's eternal separation from God. We do know at minimum we can say that. Whether there's literal flames involved um, or whether people are, I guess, annihilated and cease to exist. I think all those, there's plausible cases for all those. Now, they can't all be true. But I think there's plausible enough cases that we need to be careful that if we haven't studied them all, uh, to reject one or the other too quickly. But Mm -hmm. something we can't all agree on is this eternal separation from God. Because there's different things when Jesus describes hell in the New Testament, like outer darkness, right? But then it's also talking about flames and fire. Well, if you have flames and fire, it's not going to be darkness, right? So the question is, are those just metaphors to describe the the closest metaphor available to them to describe the anguish one will experience once they realize they're eternally separated from God. And that's Mm -hmm. a question I think needs to be answered, but that, that's a, that's a whole topic within itself. And that's something I need to iron out for myself. I used to hold, and I still do, I guess you could say to eternal conscious torment, uh, where you, you know, the, you're conscious and you're tormented for eternity. Now, whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. It seems to be inferred from the text, but at the same time, I need to work through and see if those metaphors are metaphors or mm. if that's actually what they meant. Cause got to go by the type of literature you're reading, what genre is it? Um, you got to go through all these different things to study that instead of just doing a survey I think a surface reading of anything is kind of dangerous, yeah. <laughs> especially in ancient text, not just the Bible, any ancient text, you know, written yeah. in another language.
0: I was, um, listening to Justin Brierly's program. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. He was here on this podcast, uh, a few weeks ago and um, he wrote a book called unbelievable. And one of the things he talks about in there is how his views have changed on that about um, an annihilationism. Um, But something you mentioned earlier, uh, and I guess we can get back to uh, who's going now in a second, (laughs) because that's (laughs) a big question too. Um, Christians, Christians really struggle with this area as well. And there's, Different pastors who've come out, um, <laughs> who who've come out and said things. Uh, one prominent preacher would be uh, Pastor Rob Bell, um, mm-hmm. who say, right, there's uh, you're going to get a lot of extra chances, right, because God's so loving. Uh, there's going to be more chances, uh, possibly, and in fact, even locally, I've had Christians, um, you know, not a lot, but some, uh, take more of a I don't know, so I'm not going to talk about hell. Or, uh, you know, it's it's more of a universalism kind of thing. What's right. the difference between universalism, which is all roads lead to heaven um, and to God eventually, versus right. um, this idea of hell is eternal separation, but how it all works out? I mean, there's definitely a difference there. How would you sure. explain the difference? Well,
1: the eternal uh, separation would be that um after you're judged because remember there is going to be a judgment for everybody now i hold that there's and there's different views because this ties into eschatology instead of the end times so how do you view that so there's a lot of pieces to put the, to put in this puzzle Obviously, I don't picked. study this,
0: and I would, guess, <laughs> I would guess the majority of people listening to this haven't either, so
1: keep it simple. Well, and that's actually one of the things I've studied the most, is, is eschatology. That's what actually got me started being interested in the Bible, so I studied that forever. That doesn't mean okay. I'm right, but it means I've I, I studied <laughs> quite a bit on it. But uh, So I hold that there's two judgments, one for the lost um, and one for those who are in Christ. So um, those who are lost are judged, and then they're eternally separated from Christ. Um and there's and after that it's too late there's no there's no second chance as the Bible teaches, and it also mentions that that's eternal uh, this is in Revelation chapter twenty verses eleven through the end of the chapter. that's the judgment of the lost, so and it says this is the second death and i there's no precedent in scripture that I can find that shows that they'll ever be given another chance, and even when you read the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter sixteen, um, he doesn't ask to be taken out of hell. The rich man who's there, he seems to know he deserves it. He just asks for some relief, and he's worried about those who are here who've missed the boat. He wants them to send somebody. He wants them to send Lazarus to tell him, "Hey, look, you know you don't want to come here." Mm-hmm. You know, tell them, don't come here. And then they're like, he's, and he, of course, then Jesus says when he's telling the story, if the, he said, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets or the scriptures, neither will they believe if one rose from the dead kind of foreshadowing his own resurrection. Right. So, but he never asked to be out. He just wanted other people to be warned. So they didn't come there.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So
1: that's kind of struck, struck me pretty good whenever I was reading it. That's kind of implicit in the text.
0: Yeah. Um. So, going back to that question of who's in hell, how how do you know if you're lost?
1: If you don't trust in Christ, uh, I think the Bible makes it pretty clear that Christ. That's why the atonement's so important. So, um,
0: tell us about the atonement.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, the atonement. Uh, there's a couple of different meanings of it. Doctor Craig actually, I actually brought this book. I haven't finished reading this, but this is the best book in the world on that topic.
0: Atonement and the Death of Christ by William Lane Craig.
1: So anyway, Dr. Craig gets in there. He does an exegetical, which is a big fancy term for you, pull meaning out of the text. Because remember, when we study the Bible, we don't want to cram meaning into it. Kind of like the definition of faith, right? As blind and a leap of and all that. That's actually not, that's, that's an English definition of the word faith. But the Greek and Hebrew words never had that wide of a semantic range. It literally means a reason to trust. So when you read the word faith in the Bible, in the Old New Testaments, think of the word trust. Don't read it as blind. Don't use the English word and retroject that back into the text because you're going to get confused and it's going to it's going to it's going to mess things up when you interpret the Bible. So he does an exegetical where you pull meaning out of the text, an exegetical, historical and philosophical approach. He gets into philosophy of law, the concepts of justice, retributive versus um, consequentialism, stuff like that. And that's the stuff I'm working through in that book. But I I would recommend it because the atonement is where God made provision for the sins of the entire world, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons we know Christianity is exclusively true an argument for Trinitarianism is I kind of give a speeding ticket analogy. I'm in my car, right? So it's, it's fast. It'll fly. And I fly it when it's running. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, so, if I get pulled over and I'm going 30 over, the cop can, when he pulls me over, can do two things. He can give me the ticket, which is justice, right? It's the penalty due for wrongdoing. I'm guilty. Mm-hmm. Or he can be merciful and he can let me go.
0: Right.
1: But what he can't do is both. When he's merciful, he's foregone justice. When he's just, he's foregone mercy. Now, God being maximally great, um, means that his, in his great making, any great making property he has, such as love, justice, mercy, goodness, all those things, he's the paradigm for that by which we judge if something else has that attribute. So God has to be both just and merciful. So how can he do that when we've all sinned and broken his law and we're all guilty of punishment? How could he be merciful? Cause he can't just forgive sin because then he's foregone justice, but he's the paradigm for justice. So God has to be both. Well, in a Trinitarian conception of God, you have God the Father, who is a separate person from the Son, right? So God the Father can send God the Son, who voluntarily goes and lives a life, fulfilling his own moral standard, which none of us could possibly keep. And then the Son goes to the cross, and then God the Father pours out his wrath for all sin for all time on the cross so now divine justice has been satisfied Hmm. god's sin has been justly punished so now the son can set free and be merciful to whomever trusts in him and repents and turns from their sin
0: so for somebody not familiar with the concept of sin or who thinks it's just a bunch of little things that i do wrong how would you define sin
1: it's actually from the Greek and Hebrew it's like if you know, like Robin Hood has a bow and arrow and he's aiming at the target and he misses it it literally means to miss the mark or the goal mm-hmm. and that goal and standard is perfection and that's what God holds us to moral perfection but we can't keep it So mm-hmm. when we become Christians it's like um, it's like we have a, everybody has a terminal disease and when we trust in Christ and we repent, we constantly grow further and further and further from sin until at the resurrection we're completely cured. So once Mm -hmm. we trust in him, it's like we're given a treatment for this terminal disease and the Mm -hmm. treatments will get us better and better and better, even though we'll never be cured this side of the resurrection. At the resurrection we're cured Mm -hmm. and then we live eternity with him sin free. We'll never Mm -hmm. miss the mark again.
0: So for the person listening who maybe would say, well, (laughs) I'm a good person and uh why isn't that enough you know i right. i feel like that should be enough and and i guess i would also add this question um you mentioned hitler earlier and you were saying you know how unjust it would feel if hitler you know didn't get punished for what he did um but i've actually made the argument because i've heard it before that if hitler even somebody as sinful as hitler uh at the end of his life repented and turned to christ and put his trust in him that we might see him in eternity uh with with the lord what do you say to that because i think that's so backwards from what our culture believes right if we're just good enough if we just try hard
1: (laughs) right and that's that's where Christianity is unique in that it's not works-based you can never earn your way into heaven. That's the point. We all fall short, so therefore we all deserve punishment. We're all guilty before God. That's, that's literally Christianity 101. That is the textbook realization is that you can't possibly save yourself. It's not yeah. even possible. Um, that Therefore, everyone needs a savior and that only Jesus is uniquely qualified because of the atonement. He's mm-hmm. not just uh, truly human. He's also truly divine. So he's yeah. a God man in essence. So he's the mediator between God and man because he's both. Yeah. And um so, so yeah, so Hitler, yeah. So the issue isn't isn't the um on the atonement is that Jesus secured the payment for all sin debt. So every time we sin, it accrues debt. The Bible even uses legal and banking terms to denote what happens with the cross and with sin. So it so says Abraham believed or trusted in God. It was accounted or credited to him for righteousness. In other words, it was credited to his account, Um, God's pardon. And there's actually a a book, Salvation and Sovereignty, a Molinist approach by a great guy, Kenneth Keithley, great writer, super nice guy too. And um, he actually is answering a totally different objection, but it applies here. He's talking about double jeopardy. He talks about a case from the 1830s where Andrew Jackson Um, had pardoned a man who George Wilson, I believe was his name, who had robbed from the U S mail. Well, that Mm -hmm. carried with it the death penalty at the time. Well, he was on death row. Well, he said he wasn't guilty. Well, the evidence said he was, he did it. So Andrew Jackson pardoned him. Well, he refused the pardon. So the Supreme court said, well, if you refuse the pardon, you haven't applied those benefits to your account, so to speak. So if you refuse the pardon, then the sentence stands, and you're due your punishment. So he was actually put to death.
0: He oh refused the pardon.
1: So the Supreme Court agreed that there's no such thing as double jeopardy in that case. You can't. There, there's not two punishments for his wrongdoing. There was only one. So it's like that with with Christ and the atonement. When we trust in Him, Jesus at the cross, Jesus secured the payment for all sin for all time. But you have to trust in him and have that pardon credited to your account. Wow. And you have to do that freely so those who reject their pardon end up being like George Wilson. you end up getting just punishment for your sin
0: I've never heard that example before, and it's so accurate that's so free- <laughs> why did he refuse the pardon?
1: Why did I don't he know. It? I have no idea I, well he, he was adamant he wasn't guilty, so he was so stubborn he just from what I understand, he was just so adamant about him, him not being guilty that he wouldn't refuse the He refused the pardon because if he accepted it, it would be an admission of guilt.
0: Did he know the consequences of?
1: Yes, he knew the consequences. And I'm not intimately familiar with the case. I'm just going from what I read and from what Keith Wow in his That's, book. But, that um... is
0: such an interesting allegory to uh, the gift of salvation, isn't it? <laughs> I mean,
1: it really is. I mean, it really is. It's one of the best I've ever heard, and uh, it's uh, Kenneth Keithley. Salvation and Sovereignty: A Molinist Approach is the name of the book that you can find. And there's obviously more detail than what I said. He don't spend a whole lot of time on it. He just he's making a point, but it's apt to what we're talking.
0: Well, about. I'm gonna look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs>
1: I, mean, I just yeah. I think that's that's
0: stunning because you can see the consequence. I feel like. When I talk with people, and I say, "You know, uh, when I'm having conversations with friends who don't know the Lord, I be like, salvation is this free gift, you know you can yes. you can refuse it um, and that's on you, right? But it's a free gift to everyone. It doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how sinful you've lived your life or how messed up, you know, how far you've fallen from, uh, you know God's love. He loves you and he wants you to be part of uh his family. And um it's interesting. I was talking to a pastor on here and I, I keep referring to him because um uh, the episode with him was so compelling to me and I I did it with um Lika, my uh Dutch daughter and um and, oh, and she's God. not a believer. She's a skeptic. Um but he, you know he talks about that, like, we're all mixture, you know, even believers, we're mixture. And, uh, you know, we're <laughs> our motives aren't always right. Most of the time, they're not. Sure. And, um, you know, we're we're sinners saved by grace. It's God's grace. It's not perfection that gets us anywhere. And, yeah, but, you know, he talks about that, um, that gift. And he said, you know, the one thing that brings people to Jesus every time, because he says it has to be the Holy Spirit that draws people. And we were talking Absolutely about apologetics does. a little bit, but he was just saying every time it's recognizing I'm a sinner and God's love, uh, you know, that God actually loves me in spite of it. He, he loves me. And if you're listening right now and you know you're a sinner, you know uh, that you 've done wrong uh, you know that 's actually a really good place to be <laughs> because we 're all broken right. and we need we need a savior and that 's the message of the gospel right that Jesus came for us
1: yeah it 's the foundation it 's actually without that one could not possibly become a christian that 's the foundational um, that 's the bedrock to even becoming a christian is is realizing the truth that there's a standard that we poss- we can 't possibly meet. Yeah. Because remember, when people say, Well, I'm a good person, well, by what standard are you saying that? Or if you're using a cultural standard or your neighbor, you might seem good. You might have built that up in your mind. But if you look into the biblical text, it's like a mirror to show us who we really are. And a lot of people don't like that picture. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but without looking at it and then finding a the solution, realizing the solution is Jesus alone. Um nothing we do can be fruitful or or correct in that regard on those topics. So um, if we say we're a good person, then they just simply don't understand um, that God requires absolute perfection and can't compromise due to his perfect, holy nature. Mm -hmm. And apart from Christ, we can't even stand in his presence. He's so holy. So you know, that's, that's the foundation. So it's this, I'm a good person stuff just stems from not knowing that, not realizing that we're going to be judged by this absolute perfect standard. Because when we go by that, nobody's good. That's why the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one.
0: So I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, which was about elevating attributes of God or elevating uh, different things. And I'm thinking about um, those pastors and people in within the church who are like, uh, maybe all roads lead to heaven, and uh, maybe uh, there isn't, you know, maybe the Bible got this part wrong, Um, which, you know, I I don't think they ever say that, but it's kind of... (laughs) I mean, it kind of is that, uh, like twisting scripture, t- because I I feel like there's really no way uh-huh. to escape it. Um, there's a great book by Preston Sprinkle and Francis Chan where they address this. You know, they it's called Erasing Hell, and they're talking about in response to Rob Bell's uh, book, which I can't remember the name of the book. Is it Love Wins or something like that?
1: It's hard to take. It's hard to take seriously now. If I had somebody close to me who really struggled with that then I would take it serious and I would go look at it for them. But I, and I mean, nobody I know, even non-Christians yeah. don't even take that serious. Well, you know? but some people do. And if you do, then it's a, it can be a problem, yeah. you know, and then I would study it, but you know, I just haven't ran across anybody personally to where I would need to commit the time to, yeah. to Well, point. I
0: definitely have friends who I feel like they've, I'm sure you're familiar with the, um, at least Childers and progressive Christianity, some of that stuff. Are you, yeah. Yeah.
1: I actually just listened to her um, the other day. She did an interview with William Lane Craig on the Atonement. Yes, YouTube, I watched part of that. Uh, talking about this book. Yeah. And uh, Justin Bronnerly actually had William Lane Craig and Pastor Greg Boyd on, on his channel talking about this book. And that was a really good discussion. And then, uh, but Elisa Childers, I heard her just the other day um, on Frank But Turek. Frank Turek's great. I've met him, had some training under him. He's a great guy Cross Examine Ministries. Yeah. All those guys are great. Girls that they have are, are fantastic. But uh, she was on his part and talking about that book. I, I literally just listened to that the other day on my way to work. And back.
0: So what do you think it is? Why are Christians, if you had to guess, why why are Christians having such a hard time with because everything you just explained about hell and its simplest terms and justice and salvation, the atonement Um, I mean, I'm a Christian, so it makes sense, but it's pretty, you know, simple. I I hope I, if you're listening and you don't feel that way, send me a message, but, um, what, why are we, what's the, the push to change it?
1: Well, a lot of times I think they're turned off. They elevate the attribute of love so much that they think it's incompatible with what's known as retributive justice, where there's a penalty that's due for wrongdoing. They think God should just look the other way because He's all loving; that sin doesn't need punished, and that seems like Elisa Childers touched on that without necessarily using those words. She touched on that a little bit, and said that was one of the major problems she runs into when she talks to them mm-hmm. as well. I think she worded it different. And again, I listened to it once, so I could be slightly off, but uh, but that's one of the major things I see online with people who identify as being progressive Christians, which I think is like saying I'm a married bastard. <laughs> You know, because, the, because the things they're doing are regressive. Because anytime you deviate from a standard, that's a regression. And the more you, the closer you get to achieving it or mimicking it, that's progress. Mm-hmm. But what they're doing is they're they're falling completely away and going the opposite direction of the standard, and calling it progress. So it's to me it's a term of sarcasm. And then to say it's Christian without having the basic rudimentary elements of the atonement. Established can't even be Christian now. There's different ways to understand the atonement, um, but you got to be. It's a very, very slippery slope. You got to be very careful. Yeah. Um, So it's very difficult because some of the foundational tenets of Christianity they're completely off the rails. On Um, it's unfortunate. So it's it seems like a again it's like saying I'm a married bachelor to say I'm a progressive Christian. That doesn't even make
0: sense. Uh, Yeah, like I mentioned, I I definitely have friends who've fallen into some of that thinking. uh, And I think that it's becoming more widespread. It's just this whole idea of taking the things that we don't agree with in the Bible and saying, well, maybe it could be different and changing it around just a little and making everybody feel better. But the problem is, then you get back to what you were just talking about with the atonement, like you don't need it anymore, right? Cause we can be good enough or right. we can, you know, maybe there isn't a hell yep. and all these different things. Okay, friend, I'm going to pause it right there. Chan is just about to um, share some more um, deep wisdom and reflection on what I just asked him or what I just talked about. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I hope you're enjoying this conversation it's a lot to digest and sometimes really good things, um, really rich things. Um, we need to be thoughtful as we do uh, digest them. So I know for me personally, Chan gave me a lot to think about, and it was a really good conversation. i um, just been really thankful to um, have the privilege of sitting down with him and chatting about these things that sometimes I've never really thought about, if I'm being honest So um, I'm thankful for it. I'm excited to share part two with you later this week. And um, until next time. Thank you, friend, for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is a grace-filled, Christ-centered podcast for those who are wandering, wondering, or simply needing to be encouraged in their faith journeys. I hope you'll come back next week when I'll most likely be sharing a conversation with another guest about their journey towards finding something real. And if you're on Instagram, please come find me. On Fridays, I share Instagram Live podcast recaps at 11.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're over there on the gram, you can join me for some fun live awkwardness. (laughs) And finally, if you're someone who was encouraged by today's podcast and you have friends who would benefit from hearing the story shared here, would you go ahead and share? You can do that by hitting subscribe, leaving a review or sharing a link. Your telling others about this podcast helps bring other people along. And finally, just so you know, if you only remember one thing about this podcast, I hope it is this. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus Christ loves you, and a real relationship with Him is a treasure trove of restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. He's offering that gift to you today. I pray you
1: believe it.